Well, good morning. My name is uh, Matt Trexler. I'm the RUF campus minister at UCLA. Uh, this is not my first time here, so I'm glad to be back in this beautiful city, in this beautiful church with you beautiful people on this beautiful day. It's okay. You are beautiful. Take it. Um, <clears throat> but we are looking at one of my f- absolute favorite passages in Scripture. The only thing with it is that it's probably very familiar to many of us. And sometimes familiarity can breed contempt. But I hope that this passage helps us to relearn things that we need to hear again. I remember my, uh, my former pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, he, uh, he told me one time, he said, Matt, you don't need to know newer, deeper things. You need a deeper grasp of the basic thing." And he said it in a wicked, cool Scottish accent because he was like Scottish. Oh, you need a deeper grasp of the basic thing. And he's talking, of course, about the love of Christ, that we need a deeper grasp of this. And I think this passage shows it beautifully. So before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you and I need you. I'm a proud sinner. We are proud sinners. Um, We have failed you in many ways even today. We need your grace and your compassion. Thank you that you do not treat us according to our iniquities nor repay us according to our sins. You treat us with your covenant faithful love. And so, Lord, I pray that you will pour out your love upon your people. That you will be compassionate to me even as I preach. And give me the words to say. And, Lord, I pray that I stand behind the cross and disappear because it is this microphone might help people hear my voice, but it doesn't help people hear your voice, and it's your voice that we need, and so I pray that you give me your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we leave here today worshiping your son, Jesus. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a true story about a man named Jeff in Ohio. The year is 1984. Jeff is a freshman in high school. Jeff owns a burnt orange Plymouth Duster, okay? And this particular morning, Jeff is driving to school, and the sun is bright, so he has to put down his visor, and the worst thing possible happens. He hits someone with his car. And he gets out, and it's a freshman girl who's in his class. Uh, She flies up over the hood. He's freaking out. He runs to the nearest payphone, because it's the 1980s, right? And like he has to call the paramedics. The paramedics show up. They're able to save her life. They bring her to the hospital. Uh, She lives... But he is just racked with guilt. I mean, just racked with guilt. She recovers, and she comes back to the school, and, like, he cannot make eye contact with her. Like, they're walking down the hallway. He, like, ducks down the other way, right? He, he can't do this. And he's just, he avoids her for, like, the next three years, even after graduation. And he doesn't see her for 20 years, doesn't hear from her. And it's, he considers this to be the greatest failure of his life. Right, like he just thinks, I ruined this girl's life. And then 20 years later, 2004, he gets an email from Tammy. That's her name, Tammy. And it starts this way. Dear Jeff, you may have been the first person to hit me with your car, but you certainly weren't the last. <laughs> and he's like, what? And so he keeps reading and come to find out she is now a successful stunt woman in Hollywood. Okay, true story. And uh, she says, I have been hit literally hundreds of times. And people always ask me, how did you get so good at car hits? And she says, I have to explain to them that a guy hit me my freshman year walking to school. I credit you for helping me determine my calling in life. (laughs) Um, And that healed something very deep in him, right? 
This was the greatest failure of his life, and yet something beautiful came out of it. And as crazy as that story may be, I think when we talk about, you know, God is at work in your life. We think, yeah, okay, God's at work in my life. The one area that we do not believe that he is at work is in our failures. I don't, I mean, yeah, he forgives my failures, but he's at work in them. We're pretty confident he can't do that. The things that I regret or am most ashamed of. My moral failures, decisions I've made that I wish I hadn't, circumstances. And we think there's no way God could be working these things or make something good out of it. But this passage tells us something very different. That God loves to look at you in your fear and in your shame and in your failure. And not only forgive you, but commission you and use it for the glory of his name. That's one of the best things about our God. And he does this for his disciple Peter, whom he loves, even after one of Peter's greatest failures. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage in three ways. I want to look at Peter's failure. I want to look at Jesus' response. And then I want to look at, or Jesus' reaction, and then I want to look at our response. Peter's failure, Jesus' reaction, our response. First, Peter's failure. Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples. Like, if you could name the three people, right, that were closest to Jesus, it was James, John, and Peter. Peter's like numero uno, right? Like, he is hardcore disciple. And Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, you will betray me. You will deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Peter, Jesus... Like, all these other people might leave you, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm president of the Jesus fan club. Like, it's you and me, ride or die. Like, we are in this together. I am your number one disciple. This will not be me. And yet, as we know, Peter fails. And it's not just any failure. It is a disastrous denial. Jesus is taken away to be whipped and beaten outside the governor's mansion, and Jesus is, uh, Peter is there next to a charcoal fire. and Someone comes up to him and says, Wait, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you with that guy? No, no, I'm not with him. I don't know him. No, no, you, you're his disciple. No, I tell you, I don't know him. Like a 13-year-old servant girl comes up and says, No, you're one of his. I tell you, I don't know him. Like I triple dog deny him, right? Like three times, I deny him, I deny him, I deny him. This is a severe sin. Total disloyalty to Jesus. Total breaking of allegiance. Total sin. Peter knows that he's done it. See, Peter thought he was the best disciple. And now he realized that maybe he's actually the worst. None of us actually measure up to who we're called to be. And if you think you can measure up, you've set yourself for a, for a bar you can never clear. I, I like to think, you know... Jesus, I want Jesus to love ideal Matt Trexler, right? Right, like the Matt Trexler, like if I were to think of ideal Matt Trexler, ideal Matt Trexler would wake up at like 6 a.m., you know, crack of dawn, you know, 6 a.m., and I'd wake up with a smile, right? Because this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice, right? <laughs> and I like make my coffee and like be in the Word and read it, right? I might even just get up so early enough that I'm able to run to the gym, right? LA Fitness or La Fitness or whatever, um, <laughs> Don't go there as much as I should, right? Working out, and then like run to campus, and on the way I see somebody, strike up a conversation, boom, they're converted, right? Uh, and by the time I get to campus, we're both singing Jesus Paid It All, you know? And I start meeting with students, and they're like 
telling me all their problems and they're like setting them all up and I'm knocking it all down, right? Just spitting out wisdom, you know, and they're just like, wow, Matt, you are truly an amazing pastor. You have blessed me uh, with your great wisdom and I shall go to physics praising the Lord uh, this morning. And they give me a high five, right? And I know that up in heaven, God's given me a high five too, right? That's what I want, right? Like that's how I want it to be, but that's not reality. Reality is that Matt Trexler is impatient, And Matt Trexler does not always love his students very well. In fact, he loves their love of him, but he doesn't always love them. I'm afraid to say hard things to people because I care about what they think of me. I care more about that than I do what they think of Jesus. And Jesus rebukes me, yes. He disciplines those whom he loves, but he loves me. And I'm finding more and more that that Jesus is compassionate with the real Matt Trexler. That he loves real Matt, even in my failures and in my sins. See, Jesus always knew that Peter was going to do this. Jesus did not call Peter because he thought Peter was really awesome. He called Peter because he wanted Peter to experience his grace and forgiveness, to humble him. You see, The first thing Jesus does is not call you to prove yourself as a disciple. What he first does to you is to reveal to you who you really are so that you can know who he really is. What is Jesus' reaction again to this failure? Let's look a little more in depth at this. Um, There was a, I guess it was a podcast on This American Life. I don't know if you listened to that, Ira Glass. Um, It was about the Batman of China. This is a crazy story. Uh, but in the city, and I'm going to butcher the name of it, Tunjing, China? I can't remember. It's like a city of 7 million people. There's this bridge, double-decker bridge that goes over the river. Uh, the b- bottom part is for trains. The top part's for cars and pedestrians. And the sad thing about this bridge is that at least once a week, someone jumps off of it. Uh, it's one of the highest suicide rates, even more than the Golden Gate Bridge. But there is a man named Mr. Chan called the Batman of China who drives his moped up and down the bridge trying to find people who are going to jump. And then he like grabs them and like rescues them. And he's rescued like thousands of people. And so This American Life gets word of it and they want to do this interview of him. They want to do this podcast on him. So they go to China. Um, The American porter finds him. They're riding on the back of the moped. He's seeing someone about to jump. Mr. Chan jumps off, grabs the person, saves his life. Crowd is coming around them. And then Mr. Chan does the weirdest thing ever. He starts yelling at the person that was about to jump. And he says, how dare you? How dare you, sir? How dare you jump? You call yourself a man? Right? You, you come up here with the intention of killing yourself? You're somebody's son. How dare you? I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. And then the American reporter is like horrified. Like, what is happening right now? There's this, this, this amazing savior rescuer who's now taking these people and just like shaming them. And I think if in our, and I tell that story because I think in our heart of hearts, we know that Jesus is a savior and we know that Jesus is a rescuer. But deep down we feel that if he were to confront the deepest shame and fear of our hearts, the deepest failures, that he would yell at us. That he would say, you call yourself a Christian disciple and you still struggle with this? For 10 years, you've struggled with this? You call yourself my disciple and you're still doing this? You failed in this way? How dare you? I think deep down, Peter expects that even a little bit from Jesus. He's, 
He's tentative. He's fearful as he comes up. But what is Jesus' reaction? Jesus builds, Jesus makes a charcoal fire, which is very important. And it's early morning. What is Jesus doing? He's recreating the scene of Peter's denial next to a charcoal fire before the rooster crows. Now, why is he doing that? Is he doing it to trigger Peter, right? Calls like PTSD. Like, what is, like, what is he doing in that moment? He's, he is saying, Peter, I want this to invoke the memory of, your, of the denial that you did. I do. But I want you to overlay it with this imagery and this moment when I forgive you and commission you. I want you to actually, I don't want you to pretend it didn't happen, but I want you to overlay this memory of me forgiving you on top of it. See, Peter came expecting a lecture for Jesus to shame him, but he got forgiveness. Three times he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three denials, three questions. You see, grace will always be an abstract thing to you until you learn to apply it to very specific failures in your life. What is it you are most ashamed of? What is it that you look at? And maybe it's not just one event. Maybe it's a tapestry of things. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something like, I feel like I have failed as a parent. I feel like I have failed as a father. I feel like I have failed. Whatever it may be, what failure is it that haunts you? Jesus wants to take that failure and he wants to drown it in the ocean of his grace and to know that you are forgiven. That thing. Because forgiveness has power. It is the power of new creation. It is a, a sin-forgiving, idol-smashing, chain-breaking power. Utter gracious love. That's who Jesus is. And He has come to set us free. What failures can you not undo? You see, Jesus wants to extend grace to you because He doesn't want to keep you at a distance. He wants to draw you up to His throne. He wants to commune with you. He wants to say, that failure does not define you. That's, it's a part of your story, but my love for you is the whole story. I don't look at you and say, now that's what you are. He looks at us and says, I'm so glad that you are my disciple. I'm so glad that you are my disciple. But this last thing, I, I really want to camp out for the most part on this, which is our response to this. Because it's interesting that although Jesus forgives Peter, that's not the main point of Jesus' interaction with him. Right? Like, Jesus comes up and he asks him, do you love me? And three times, and Peter gives this tentative yes. And the passage screams out for a word of forgiveness, but what we get is a word of commission. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then a warning, follow me, even to the cross. N.T. Wright said, those who receive the free forgiveness of Jesus are also called to join Him in His costly work, to come when He calls, to go where He sends, to do what He tells you. You see, the compassion of Jesus to utter failures is meant not only to make us recipients of His compassionate power, but it's actually meant to make us compassionate people, merciful people, who then join Him in the work of costly love and costly obedience. Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I forgive you, now go and love in the way in which I have loved you. Now that is very hard. If you've ever tried to love someone, if you've ever tried to forgive someone, really forgive them, 
It is a humiliating and hard work. Impossible, actually, without the grace of God. To relinquish that anger, to relinquish that bitterness, and to love someone, to forgive them, to sacrifice in that way, to really love someone will cost you everything. You might be rejected. You might be trampled on. You might be put out. You might be burnt out. To really love someone is costly. And Jesus calls us into costly love. Feed my sheep. And sometimes the sheep bite back. But I want you to feed my sheep, Peter. Even when they fail you. I want you to be patient and love them just as I have loved you. And to really see this, we have to rewind the tape a little bit all the way back to the Last Supper. Right? When Jesus is with His disciples on the night in which He's betrayed and He washes their feet. That's a big thing. Because back then, you know, and you know this, they wore those Chaco shoes or whatever and like they're walking down the street and streets weren't super clean back then. That's not where the taxes went. Um, and there's all kinds of gunk and things. And this is not, when, they, when they're reclining at the table, this is not like, you know, the Da Vinci Last Supper painting where they're all sitting behind this, like, European farm table. Like, they're actually, like, reclining with, like, their feet. I can't stretch. I'm not very flexible. I guess the fitness is not working for me. But, um, right, and their feet's, like, in their face. And so you had to wash someone's feet. And usually it was a low Gentile slave that would do it, the lowest rank. Um, you, you don't want to get that straw, right? Like that's, the, that's like the worst job. And Jesus gets there and he doesn't say, all right, Frank, come wash our feet. Like he actually gets up, puts on a towel, and he washes his disciples' feet. Now think about how awkward that moment would be. And that's an awkward moment, right? Like we don't, we, that's probably like 30 minutes of sheer awkwardness, right? Where the king of the universe, the one whom angels bow down to, is on his knees, Washing your feet. And Peter's like, please don't do this, Lord. This is humiliating. Please, please don't do this. I have like bunions. Like don't, like, like, don't do this. This is shocking. This is offensive. But Jesus is teaching Peter that he must first receive the love which comes from Christ. I love this image. I heard one pastor say it like this. Here is the creator of the universe kneeling before his creation in service. I don't know how that hits you, but it makes me uncomfortable. And Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Peter, before I commission you and call you, you will, I want you to know that you will deny me. And even before you do it, I give you this grace. I wash your feet. And you have to sit there and take it. You have to receive my love right where you're at. You have nothing to offer me. You will fail me. But I will do this act of humiliation because I love you. We can understand being humble before God, but God being humble before us in that way. You see, Peter said he was ready to serve Jesus, but was he ready for Jesus to serve him? This is the love we need, but it's not the love we want. It's an assault on our pride. Do you see the love of God like this? My, my pastor, current pastor at Pacific Crossroads, Rankin Wilburn, said something I, I won't forget. He said, you know, the love of God doesn't change people. If you think about it, is what he meant by this. God loves every person in this room, but some people may walk out of it unchanged by it. 
What changes a person is receiving the love of God. He used to have this quote on his office that said, it is not sin that ultimately makes us lost people, it is the rejection of grace. I think that was Flannery O'Connor. The rejection of grace. As I remember this story from, about Mother Teresa. Uh, she, you know, the, she was in Calcutta in India helping the poor, and she had an intern with her. And he was just, he was so, he was, he was the one who was supposed to be in charge over like the, sh- the short-term teams that would come in, and the, you know, the people who would come in and help with the mission. And he was getting so frustrated with them, so impatient with their, with their apathy and their American comforts and all these things. He was just getting just so frustrated. And uh, Mother Teresa comes up to him and, sh- and she says, can I talk to you? He said, sure. And she says, what is your mission here? He's like, well, to help the poor in India, of course. She says, no, 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 that's not your mission. That, that is God's mission. You, that is an impossible calling and task. Do you know what your mission is? It is to wake up every morning and to receive the love of God and then to show that love in the best way you know how. It is to receive the love of God and then through that to love others. You see, Peter thinks this is humiliating, but a deeper humiliation is actually coming uh, for Jesus He says, Peter, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm not going to just wash your feet with water. I'm going to wash your heart with my blood. And you with your washed feet are going to walk away from me this very night. You will deny me. And I will be in the Garden of Gethsemane with blood and anxiety as my soul is crushed. And I will ask you to pray for me. And you will fall asleep. And you will deny me. And in that moment, I will look into the cup, the cup that I must drink, the cup of the wrath of God, the cup filled with every tear you've ever shed, every insecurity and every sin and the judgment of the world, and I will take that cup for you, and I will drain it to the dregs. I will do this for you, because I love you. And I will be humiliated. I will be stripped naked, bloodied, beaten, nailed to a cross. And this is the love of God for you. My, uh, Jesus said, um, the reason that my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. John ten seventeen. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Now, put that into your theological pipe and smoke it for a second. Um, I, I can maybe give an answer to that, but I really don't know what that means. The reason that the Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Sinclair Ferguson, my pastor was telling you about, said that he believes that the Father was singing over Jesus at the crucifixion. I wonder what that song was. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. You've laid down your life for them. And Jesus says, Peter, this is the love that God has for you. That I would lay down my life. Will you receive it? Will you receive that love and extend it to others? Peter, I'm calling you. He actually says, you will be crucified upside down. You will be led where you do not want to go. See, Jesus never calls us to do something that does not first do for us in a saving way. Peter, I will suffer first for you. You must receive this love, but I am then now calling you to love in this way sacrificially. I am calling you to extend this to others. What if you had the superpower to like touch someone and they could actually know that God loved them? 
You could just like touch them and they would believe it. I think Jesus seems to say that you do have that power. That you are actually to enter in into costly, compassionate love. One of the greatest signs that you have experienced and received the love of God, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, is that you extend it to others. Because you can't give away what you don't possess. Receive the love of God that you might actually feed my sheep. That you might actually go when I call you. Obey what I have said. And that you will follow me. And that's the way he ends it. Those two words. Follow me. Which is fascinating because those are the first two words he said to Peter. And now it's bookended by this. And Peter has followed Jesus and yet he has failed. And maybe you're here today and you say, I have followed Jesus, but I have actually been really distant from him. I have been really far from my Savior. I have failed in this way. And yet Jesus comes to you and he says, a word of grace. Follow me again. Follow me into the places where you are to forgive others. Follow me into the place of compassion and mercy. But first, receive my love so that you might actually love others. This invitation is for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a compassionate and gracious and merciful God. Lord, I pray that you convict us where we have failed to love others. Lord, I pray that you will give us your compassionate power and forgiveness that we may actually forgive those in our lives. Forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors. And Lord, I pray that you will give us your strength and power, Lord, your compassion and mercy and love, that you will make us compassionate people for your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.